professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants, and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 708 on CJD. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Josh, how are you? Happy Halloween. Indeed, you are a, uh, a joyful accountant today with your, your jester hat. My jester hat. I'm very serious, but also very happy and very playful. <laughs> yeah, we might want to take that off. It's going to make quite a bit of racket. There. All right. All right. There you go. There we go. Uh, now you're just an accountant. A spooky <laughs> just, accountant. Just, thank you. Uh, Josh, uh, welcome back for another edition of Today's Entrepreneur. And this week, uh, we're going to um, go to new heights on the program. Tonight, uh, you know, Mark Kalis is with us from Kalis Air. Now, aviation business, that's a scary business to get into. So certainly no perfect night than Halloween to hear a lot about uh, about Kalis Air from Mark and see how he kind of navigated through the, through the airs uh, with all the ups and downs. Mark, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much for having me. So, why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about what Kalis Air is and what they what you do today, and then maybe you can take us back to the beginning. Okay, well, Kalis Air Services. I started it uh, myself in 1985, and we saw a demand in the aviation business for contractual employees, contractual help, and uh, and there wasn't a lot of jobs at the time. So, uh, so starting the business uh, enabled me to offer uh, uh, aviation services, maintenance services, pilot services. And over the years, that has developed into a technical consulting business. Uh, we've diversified into several other divisions, operating aircraft, offering technical expertise to people all over the world, banks, financial institutions. It's an all-around uh, aviation technical services that we offer. Now, how did you get into this business? Well, it's funny. Uh, I've been in the business since I was 16 years old. Uh, I got a pilot's license when I was 16 and an uh, engineer's license when I was uh, uh, 19. I was, at the time, the youngest in Canada, apparently, for whatever that was worth. <laughs> and uh, and uh, But that's how I got into aviation and then uh, quickly got into um, a different type of the business that took me around the world traveling, and that really got me a lot of worldly experience. And with that, uh, a lot of contacts, a lot of uh, various experiences, and that just kept on developing. And uh, and that's basically how we got started, offering uh, services. Now, I, I can imagine that it can't be an inexpensive business to get into. Uh, did you need a lot of capital to start up? How did that happen? Well, you know, it's a funny thing. We always have the joke, how do you make a million dollars in aviation? Well, you start with two. <laughs> yeah. But uh, So it was tough at the start, and, uh, and uh, trying to get financing for a, a business in aviation is, is always been difficult. There's always ups and downs in the industry that uh, that cause uh, a strain on, on uh, in our business. So uh, I really started with five thousand dollars in my pocket and uh, and uh, a, b- a bit of guts and uh, and and gave it a go. So it's uh, uh, getting financing is tough. How competitive was the industry when you started? Well, it's a funny thing is that uh, it it's always been competitive and it's always been uh, kind of like a no guts no glory thing. You know, you have to have confidence in what you do and you have to be able to know what services you can offer and uh, and stand behind your product and your product is yourself. So uh, so the business, uh, especially uh, you know, and I hate to use the cliche, the ups and downs. It, it has been a business of ups and downs, and you have to diversify. You have to be able to move when the industry falls and be ready to offer what it is demanding at various different cycles and we've pre- we've been seeing the cycles in aviation for years you can almost predict them so uh, so i've always been able to be there and offer what services the industry 
did want as it went through its various cycles. You said you were unique in what you, you know, the schooling and your experience. So do you have competition? Yeah, uh, and and it's a, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of people that do a lot of different things in the industry. I like to think that I do, uh, that I not so much can do everything in the business, but know how to get the information that they're going to need. And I do that through a network of, uh, of, uh, of other colleagues. And, uh, and uh, so when you look at competition, it really depends on if you're going to develop a niche business or if you're going to try to be, you know, run with the run with the pack and uh, the the uh, airlines, which is uh, too competitive to be able to offer a, a service. Is it cutthroat? Is there a lot of collaboration because of the the specialized field and the international nature behind it? Yeah, yeah. I can't say that uh, that it's an easy business to uh, to stay into. Uh, there is a lot of uh, there is a uh, it's a tough business to be in, especially when you get into uh, the the high market thing, corporate jets. We're talking a lot of big dollars, um, so it's uh, it's it, it can be very cutthroat. You really have to know your business, stay within your niche, stay within your specialty. Don't stray out into an area that you're not comfortable with because you'll be eaten alive if, you, if you're trying to get into something that you really don't know what you're doing. Have you ever been tempted to go a certain way and you kind of pulled the reins back or you've gone down a certain route where you kind of think back and say, maybe I shouldn't go there and I should stay away? Oh, boy. I could tell some stories, but I do remember in a particular opportunity that I saw and I, and I thought, this, this could be something good. I should, I should dabble into it. I should put my toe into it. And uh, one of the industry pros um, really came to me and uh, and gave me a very clear indication that you don't want to play in our uh, in our sandbox. So I I sort of uh, I've had some uh, various experiences over the years that sort of guided me where to stay away and stick with what you know, stick with what you're comfortable with. And uh, actual threats, somebody uh, not really you? threats, but uh, but they made it known that uh, you know this is our business. You don't know the business, so you know, and especially when you talk about. Uh, Parts and marketing, remarketing airplanes, big ticket stuff. Uh, it can be uh, can be pretty aggressive. So, you do business all over the world, Mark, and I know you have some interesting stories to tell about certain parts of the world that you visited. And we're going to get to that in a second. Mark Kalis is our guest from Kalis Air on today's Entrepreneur. It's coming up to seven fifteen right now on CJ eighty. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 718 on CJD. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur. Our guest this evening is Mark Kalis of Kalis Air. And Mark, we're talking about how you took your business from one uh, that is based uh, just here in Montreal to one that operates internationally. When did you make that leap? And uh, what have been some of your experiences uh, working all over the world? Well, you know, I started in the uh, in the business uh, actually traveling a lot. I get into uh, something we call airborne geophysics. So we use airplanes with uh, all kinds of geophysical equipment inside. And we fly uh, uh, low level along the ground looking for oil and gold and diamonds and stuff like that. So that's I got into the business in that uh, arena. So we I traveled a lot, went all over the world. And uh, so that gave me a lot of worldly experience. So that was at the core roots of my of my uh, my beginning. So it was a natural thing for me when I started my business to reach out to a lot of my um, colleagues and, and connections that I had over in Africa, the Far East, uh, throughout Europe. And uh, because the aviation manufacturing world is basically here in North America, a lot of it is here. So to have a contact here to service 
my clients around the world to give them uh, the various technical services that they needed was a natural for me, and I had a lot of connections that way. So, tell me a bit more about this this airborne uh, geophysics. Is that what it's? Yeah, airborne geophysics. You know, it's funny. I started in that business, and I started my business in 1985. And now, three years ago, I created another division of my company to offer airborne services. So we offer the airplanes for geophysical companies. And uh, and uh, that has taken off. Pardon the pun again. Uh, that's taken off well, and uh, and it's for me, it's like a full circle. It's right back to doing what I what I started doing. So we're offering our airplanes uh, to airborne geophysical companies to do their uh, exploration around the world, and uh, so it was a natural for me to get right back into what I started with. Now, when you were you're doing business internationally, you're doing business when you're looking for gold and diamonds and all all that. You're probably covering third world areas. I mean, is it difficult to do business in these countries to get in there? Uh, what's been your experience and how did you navigate? You know, it's funny. We always said that uh, the capital cities of the world never get surveyed because they've been surveyed, you know, hundreds of years ago. So it's always the backward, backward, back, um, backwater areas that have to get surveyed looking for new resources. So, uh, so it was a very challenging, a very risky business. And uh, so, uh, so we had a lot of uh, uh, varied experiences taking airplanes to other parts of the world throughout Africa, a lot of challenges, uh, uh, permits and diplomatic situations, uh, political situations. So uh, it's, uh, it's had its challenges. So you're piloting these planes, but yet you need a, a degree in diplomacy? Well, I always said flying and, uh, and looking after the airplane, making it work was the easy part. Navigating through the various countries, getting permits, overflight permits, um, fuel, permission uh, to, to get into certain areas that uh, maybe are, are unstable, especially in some of the third world countries. Um, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot more to that business than just flying the airplane. And you're flying commercially, but I would imagine people think that you might even be military. Well, our airplanes are very bizarrely uh, equipped. They have sensors hanging off the wingtips, big long booms out the tail. Sometimes we pull things through the air on a cable. So a lot of the configuration of the airplane look very bizarre. So for the untrained eye who doesn't know exactly what we do, they, they would certainly think it probably has a military application. So there we are in a different country around the world, uh, developing resources for that country, and we're perceived as some military threat. So we've uh, we've had some uh, we've had some experiences where people have uh, have uh, forced us to explain ourselves and what we're doing and uh, <laughs> and what is that airplane and uh, and and uh, it's it's put us in some precarious situations. But you're Canadian, and everybody loves Canadians. Well, I, I can't deny that having the Canadian flag on the airplane and the pack sack. Believe me, it uh, everywhere we go, it's uh, we're proud to be Canadian, and it's uh, it, it it carries a worldwide uh, renowned. Uh, uh, attribute to be Canadian, so it's it's certainly been a it's it's been a strong point for us. So that has sort of gotten you out of some of those sticky situations. Big time, yeah. big time. I can tell you that uh, we've we've been in situations, and uh, Canada has a worldwide reputation as benevolent and uh, peacekeepers. And believe me, that's been around for a long time, and rightfully so. I'm very proud of uh, what this country's done, and uh, and I'm proud to be Canadian when we're traveling. So uh, thank goodness I was in some of the situations we were in. So as long as it keeps you out of jail, <laughs> that's it, or gets yeah, gets us out of jail. <laughs> Mark Kalis of Kalis Air, our profile this week on today's Entrepreneur at 7:23 on C. You know those BMWs you see in showrooms, the ones used for test drives, fully loaded, treated with special care? Personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
725, welcome back to today's entrepreneur, our guest, Mark Kalis of Kalis Air. And we're talking about how Mark does business all around the world uh, in aviation. Um, and Mark, when you when you take planes across borders and uh, into different territories, obviously some issues come up here. I mean, you have to be up to date with all kinds of different regulations all over the world. Tell me some of the challenges uh, when it comes to the aviation industry and how you operate um, everywhere, really. Yeah, you know, it's been more and more uh, of a, an issue uh, is regulations, safety regulations. Safety is at the height of everybody's concern in aviation. Um, we're, we're becoming so much more aware of incidences and accidents. So there's been an international wave to to uh, consolidate and work with all different countries to uh, to to enhance the safety uh, the safety of aircraft. So what we see often is what we take for granted operating our aircraft here in Canada and the regulations we follow may not be what we have to adhere to when we go to other countries. So we have several other countries that don't accept necessarily everything that we do and we have to maintain a different standard. So being up to date with other international requirements is, is extremely challenging and ever changing. So uh, especially when it comes to the safety of the aircraft, the maintenance of the aircraft, and permits operating in and out of their countries, it's not just a given that you can fly anywhere you want. You have to get permission to do so. How do you keep up to date with all these changes, not just in the technical aspects, but certainly in the government regulations, the, the planning schedules? Yeah, you really got to have a network of professionals uh, uh, and experts that you that you have to re resort to to help you keep up with that. I, you know, I think about it, uh, the services that I offer to the financial institutions, and you can't know all of it and every country's requirements. You have to have a network and know how to find the information and how to find the, the, the requirements. So you really have to be more up to date with where to find the information than actually knowing the information itself. Do you find that there's more information available online today or do you still have to go to your sources to get it? Well, I'm very amazed to see the worldwide uh, acceptance of this uh, of the internet and how you can do so much more today on the internet than you could have ever hoped to do that would have taken us months of telephone and, and faxes and telexes to get the information from. You can get all kinds of forms and procedures right on the internet from various countries all over the world. So that's been a, that's been a tremendous asset for all small businesses to be able to get that information so much more readily through the internet everybody's offering out their uh, uh, information so that's been a tremendous asset and speaking of internet and technology certainly the aircraft uh, in the last 25 26 years that you've been in business have some of the components changed does it stay the same well it's you know it's interesting it, the the new technology is changing so quickly and uh, the tremendous advancements but we still have older aircraft that are still operating that uh, that will will operate for many many more years and that's been that's been an area that has uh, that has needed to have technical expertise the new airplanes are supported by the manufacturers so the older airplanes need guys that people that have that old information that to keep the old equipment running. So that's that's been a lot of what my background has been, that niche business to help maintain the older aircraft as they continue to stay in service and get modified and updated and upgraded. It's a, it's a challenge to keep uh, old aircraft, uh, old equipment working today. The life of an average plane it would be? Well, the new aircraft, uh, you know, is completely different. Uh, if you look at some of our old uh, venerable airplanes, the DC-3s and a lot of Canadian products, the Havilland products, they'll be around forever. It's like they'll never die. I'm not so sure about the new aircraft because they're almost built with a finite life built into them. 
So, uh, so, so it's uh, it it is an interesting it's an interesting aspect of the business. How long can we keep these airplanes flying? And when you're thinking about the types of service or the planes that you're technically capable on, you you have you specifically have this in mind. Say, listen, I really should maintain my knowledge in this area because. You know, all the new planes, they're, they're original equipment manufacturers. So, you know what? My value is in some of these older models. It's always been one of my advice to other people getting in the business, aviation business. Try to specialize. Try to stay within your niche. Try to stay within your, your uh, boundaries because you, you can't keep – there's some things you just can't keep up with, and, uh, and it's too much to try to keep up with uh, the, the, uh, the warranty services that are offered by new manufacturers. So. And I, and I think, Dan, is, as you know, we hear in week in, week out, entrepreneurs, you got to stick to what you're good at. you got to stick to what you know. It's great to branch out, and you always want to reinvent yourself, as I believe Mark has done over the years, but know what you're good at, and that's what people will recognize you for. And I'm sure with, with this industry and this aviation, there's some interesting customers uh, along the way, and I'm looking forward to hear uh, the different types of customers after, uh, after the break. Mark Halis, our guest on today's Entrepreneur. It continues in just a moment, but first at 7.30. Let's head over to the CJD Newsroom with the latest headlines now. Here's Luciano Papilla. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, Outstanding Business People. We profile them every week here on the program. Josh Miller of Fuller Landau and myself, Dan Delmar. Our guest this evening, Mark Kalis of Kalis Air. And Mark, we're talking about some of your experiences working internationally. Um, who are your customers and how do you find them? Well, it's funny. I've never, um, I've never really advertised before. So a lot of my business background uh, dealt with older type airplanes, the airplanes that were neglected, uh, that there wasn't a whole lot of support anymore because new manufacturers aren't supporting, just like we see with software, with uh, computer equipment. They don't support the older technology anymore. Aviation's exactly like it. So if you, if for me, I kept my hands on the older technology and the customers that needed that support to keep the older aircraft still flying. So if you look at my background, a lot of work in Africa and stuff like that, there was a lot of clients over there that had North American built airplanes that had lived out their life here, but were still flying for many years to come in, in Africa. They still need support. So those people tend, and that's how I, my name got around, is that I was a guy that could help support older aircraft. And uh, so uh, several clients throughout Africa, the Far East, trying to operate the older technology airplanes, they need to they need to have technical assistance for it. So, Have you ever felt uncomfortable or had to say no to a customer? You know, it's always hard because, uh, you know, being a small business and, and, you know, being a service-based business, you never want to say no to anybody. And it's, and it's hard. And sometimes you got to look back and say, say to yourself, honestly, you can't, you can't know everything. You can't have you offer every service. And you're dealing in some difficult, difficult climates. Well, that's it. And some of them were just, you know, some customers in very difficult environments would say, you, you have to help me. You just have to find a way. And so it's very difficult to say no. And, uh, that's, and then the price goes up. It's okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's true. Uh, but, uh, but it really uh, developed uh, what I called my consortium-based uh, uh, profile, is that maybe I don't have the answer for you, but I will find it, and I will find the person who can help you. So that's how I developed a, a strong network of other professionals, colleagues in the business, that dealt with a different aspect or slightly different niche. And so I developed that uh, that that. Uh, group that core group of people I could count on. So yes, I can't. It's hard to say no, but when you finally learn how to say no, it's more 
uh, how to get the right person to help the to help your client out. Now you're you know it's, I I joked about pricing before, but you're dealing in such a, a specialty area with I presume a few people or a handful of people in the world or a couple of handful of people in the world. How do you price your services? Well, you know, I, I wish I had the, a good answer for that because I'm always afraid that I'm uh, charging too much or I'm not worth the money that I'm charging. But uh, but I've all, all, always had, uh, uh, you know, my, my core belief was that if you're not happy with the service that I provide, don't pay me. But if you are happy, then 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 pay because uh, I'm taking the risk to uh, offer my services with no guarantees and no long-term commitments. So uh, and I'm going to work hard for that and give all the the service that I possibly can. Just make sure that we're that we're looked after because we have to look after ourselves. Not being an employee of somebody, you have no uh, no pension plans and no uh, no big benefits. So has has experience and wisdom over the last 25 years uh, skewed you or? Give, you know, said that you told yourself, listen, I certainly have a value to offer and it's kind of creeped up over the years from a pricing standpoint. Yeah, yeah. It does get to the point where you say, you know, the things that we do, you know, the, 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 and the, the type of service, the long hours, the commitment, the overseas, the time zone changes, uh, you know, we, we have to increase our, we have to increase our rates to, uh, to be able to offer that, uh, that level of service. So. How do you communicate that to a customer that uh, that you have to increase your rates? Is there a gentler way to pull it, put it? Uh, maybe for other entrepreneurs out there who might find themselves in the same situation. Well, you know, it's that's. I got to be honest. It's been very difficult for me. And if you look at some of my rates for the the way that I consult for the the, the finance companies and the uh, the big banks, and and looking at their asset and giving them a, an opinion of its value and and continued uh, value. Um, my rates haven't changed much in, in practically 10 years. And yet you look at the price of gas and all the other cost of, of running a business has gone up. It's very difficult to keep up with the, the cost of inflation. And, and if you pri- overprice, then, it's, then the customers may not be able to support that, that level of service. So, so it's, it's a, that's a very difficult uh, um, uh, subject. But, uh, but we have seen some modest gains and, uh, and, uh, and seen that our services were more, uh, more accepted. And, and certainly something you're conscious of on a, a daily basis, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. You were talking about, uh, you know, not really marketing actively or, you know, it's kind of grown organically. People find you because of your specialty. What about the internet? Have you used that over the years to kind of branch out or to validate or to spread the word of your of your niche abilities? Yeah, you know, uh, I've never advertised before, and everything was word of mouth. And in the aviation business, the community is actually a very small business. It spans the globe, but it is a small community. So everybody does tend to know everybody, so word of mouth was always the, the way to advertise. Uh, and if you did a good job, then then people would, would uh, recognize you even more. The internet has opened up a whole new aspect of uh, of that, and I've I found it to be an incredible tool by having something as simple as a website to say who you are and what you do. As simple as that, people want to be able to uh, check you out, want to be able to look you up, and want to be able to see what uh, who you are. And uh, having a website has turned out to be a, a tremendous asset, just for people to satisfy their curiosity, if nothing else. To know what services you offer, so it's it's been a tremendous tool that I I didn't quite anticipate the uh, the uh, effect that it would have having a having a website, but it's uh, it's the way to go, and everybody I think should have one to uh, offer out the and information about their business. You know, and and certainly a website is something you may or may not have thought on your own as an entrepreneur, a small business owner. Do you have people to bounce ideas off of? Do you have a kind of a mini group or or a mentor or somebody that you can kind of say, hey, I'd like to go in this direction or I'm thinking about that and kind of what what are your thoughts on it? 
you know, I've been really lucky. If I look at my career, I've 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 had the good fortune to be exposed to some tremendous people in the aviation business and who have had imparted a, a, a lot of wisdom and a lot of good advice for me. So I've been very, very lucky. So uh, over the years and when I had ideas that I wanted to expand into, I, I could op- I pick up the phone and call them up and say, what do you think? about that and that's when i often had advice saying mark you really don't know that business don't get into it it's very hard to support there was always people that i could contact colleagues in the business that weren't exactly doing what i was doing but had a lot of experience so i've been very lucky to stay and uh, keep those good contacts uh, to be able to get that advice over the years you've mentioned that it's uh, you know there certainly goes in cycles uh, the aviation business uh, how is how has recessions hit you in the past you know, the aviation business, I always say it's the first thing that gets hit when the economy goes goes bad. Is It seems to be aviation. Corporate customers can no longer support their, uh, their uh, corporate operation, their flight operation. Price of gas seems to affect uh, the, the, the expenses and the, and the commercial viability of operating aircraft. Uh, you have a war someplace around the world and, and suddenly gas prices and, and, uh, will be affected. Aviation will take a hit. Um, heavens, after 9-11, we saw the entire aviation world turned upside down in a day mm-hmm. uh, from an event like that. So so we have noticed cycles. We've watched them over the years in the aviation business, and it literally is a cyclic, uh, cyclic business. So. Speaking of 9-11, how has the uh, amped up security measures around the world affected your business? Well, we see a lot of even even flying to the United States now isn't the way it used to be, and you know we see that in the newspapers all the time. So, and and all that filters down to operating even the smallest of airplanes. So, uh, you know, security has become a, a major issue. You you can't go anywhere without somebody knowing where you're going to be and why and what you're doing there. So, uh, and especially to, to uh, uh, security conscious uh, countries like United States. So, uh, so it's, uh, it, I think around the world we've experienced uh, uh, differences and it's much harder to get permits, overflight permits, uh, to be able to operate in different countries around the world. We're seeing a worldwide uh, scrutiny on security and, uh, and justifiably so with recent events. And it must be a, 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 an additional financial burden to you, to your company as well, since 9-11. Oh, it's a tremendous burden, you know. And even when we talk about getting financing and getting the resources that you need, as soon as you mention aviation, it's difficult to get people to, uh, to, to offer financing or to offer assistance because it's a, it's, a, it, it's a precarious business to get into. So it's not easy even to get financing in the business. So how, how I guess, you've had difficulty with the banks? Well, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, when we go through recessions and uh, and the industry is tough and the val- market values are very down in the aircraft, it, it we can't get the it's difficult to get the banks to release funds or to 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 grow the business if they're af- if they're afraid of the industry in itself. And it takes a 9/11 event to uh, to make it very difficult to have anybody look at the aviation business for financing. So it's, so, it's, uh, so getting financing can be one of our biggest hurdles to be able to grow and expand the business in aviation, uh, from my experience is what I've found over the last, uh, the last 10 years. And in, and in mitigating some of the ups and downs, uh, you know, what about from a human resource level? Is it, you know, you hire and fire people or it's really more of a subcontracting? Well, you know, we would love to be able to, you know, have a, a, a huge staff of, of employees, but the business is literally so unpredictable and unstable at, uh, over the years that we, people like myself, have tend to rely on 
on other small businesses and that consortium idea to use subcontractors to help us in the highs uh, so that we can survive in the lows when there just isn't enough business. So. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, for Halloween, as I said, it's a scary business. It's certainly not for the faint of heart. Mark has uh, navigated through this uh, excellently. And I look forward to hearing, uh, you know, closer to the end of the show, what his one piece of, of advice would be for, for today's entrepreneur. Certainly in his business, uh, I'm sure there's a few pearls of wisdom that he's learned along the way. And coming up, Nick Moretis of Fullerlanda will join us for his uh, Halloween tax treats and tricks. Look forward to that. Maybe you can... Uh, help us, uh, well, not cheat the government, but maybe just get some money back in clever ways, perhaps. Uh, 7.45 on CJD. CJD Lickipel Traffic now. Here's Air Melinda Bocaire. Thank you very much. 7.48 on CJD. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. And our guest this evening, Mark Kalis of Kalis Air. And also we bring into the conversation Nick Moretis. Nick is the tax partner at Florlando. Welcome, Nick. Well, thank you. And happy Halloween. You're here for your uh, Halloween tax tricks and treats. Now, uh, where do we begin to... Where do we start? That's right. To find out the... I I think we're all waiting to hear what kind of tricks you have up your sleeve, Nick. Well, before we get too excited, uh, it is tax, and that's the subject (laughs) matter. Um, But there are always tricks and and treats, and figure, why not? It's Halloween. It could have been out there, but Josh said, no, I'll show up tonight. So that's what I'm here for. One treat that uh, we may want to look at, um, uh, if you're planning to make a donation, and, and this is really the time for donations between now and the end of December, one thing you may want to consider is donating any public securities that you may have in your portfolio. And I'm not talking about your RSP per se, but anything that would be directly in your name. Um, for example, if you had bought, uh, say, a bank stock some time ago for, for $10 a share and today it's worth 20 and you're thinking, I'd like to make a donation for $20, I could do it by cash um, and sell my, sell my bank stock, get the $20, pay tax on my, my gain because I, I bought it for 10 I sold it for 20 and then give it the, the whatever I have left over to, to the charity. However, if you just uh, call up the charity and arrange it with them and say, look, here is my bank stock that's worth $20. Uh, they will accept it and they'll they'll sell it for themselves. But what that means is you don't pay tax on your capital gain. Hmm. So you get your donation and you don't pay tax on the capital gain. So that's a, that's a little treat that uh, we probably don't always think about. No one would have thought of that. A lot of people wouldn't have thought of that, I think. No, Not absolutely. Uh, so now a trick. And this I've been seeing and it is causing some concern. And I think uh, the Canada Revenue Agency has come out with warnings. Um, there are promoters out there who are coming to uh, people who are approaching uh, retirement and saying, we have a plan for you to um, essentially liquidate your RRSP, and we'll do it in such a way you won't ever pay tax and don't worry about it. And people are signing up, and then what ends up unfortunately happening is uh, you get audited. Um, where, you know The RRSP had you know a whole bunch of money one day, and it doesn't have it the next day. Um, and what is happening is the government's coming in and say, well, we're sorry, but this is considered cashing out your RRSP, so here's the tax bill. And naturally, they come three years later. So here's the interest for the last three years. And, and, and people are now going, oh, please, please uh, do something. But the government's saying, here, this is the law. We are supposed to uphold the law. And this is happening. So if you're getting a, a deal that is too good to be true it's with your RSP, w- really walk away. Because I'm, I'm reading the cases that are going to court, and it's really, really sad. Uh, and But this is happening. It's those too good to be true. And if you hear it and you don't understand it, check with somebody. Very, right. very easy to fall into a pit, pit, uh, trap. So how about a treat, though? Um, interest rates are very low, and uh, the government has this uh, prescribed interest rate, which is basically means it's somewhere in the, in the tax ad somewhere, and it's currently 1%. Till the end of December, it's 1%. 
Um, being that the rates have remained low, it'd probably be 1% again in January. And this rate changes every, every three months. So what does this mean? Um, well, the government is very concerned about how much money I make versus how much money my wife makes, which, which is worth how much my kids make, etc. But if I make a lot of money and I pay a lot of taxes and my kids don't, um, what if I lent them the money? What if I took the money that I had that I'm earning interest on and, and gave it to them and say, look, you go and invest. You make that money. You're going to pay half the taxes that I would pay. Well, that would be fine and dandy, but there's a little rule. And the government says, well, if you charge the interest that you're supposed to charge and they actually pay you that interest, we'll let you do that. And well, interest rates are 1%, that might be not, 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 that's a pretty good idea today, assuming you can get a rate of return more than, what, uh, than 1%. So if, if I lend it to my child... And, and they invest it, and they make, say, 5%. Well, they pay me 1%, and I'll pay my tax on 1%, and they'll pay tax uh, on the 4 and usually that will be much, much lower than, than 9 So an individual that's, that's earning quite a bit of money and his family isn't can income split and, as an overall, save a whole bunch of tax. Exactly. So long as that interest is charged and paid for. You need okay. you need that you need that in writing, and then you need it in writing. It's usually a bona fide loan, and there's a bona fide transfer of cash, and you actually take the person receiving the cash has to invest it, and if they pay me that interest, and it's one percent right now, it could go up higher. It's fluctuated widely over the years, but right now it's at one percent. Yeah, you're good. Could so that's be, a good thing. That's could be trip. thousands of dollars that's, of savings. That's right. When you say in writing, I mean, if you're, if you're giving a loan to a family member, you just sort of draft up a contract between the yeah. two of yeah. you. You don't have to have it validated by anyone? No, or no. Just like so that? long as okay. it's, it's a contract, it yeah. spells out the terms, and you make sure the payments are made. I think it's better if it's witnessed, but, uh, you know, if, even then, as long as it's in black and white. So a I, trick. Sure, Speak, one more trick. One more trick. Yeah. One more trick. Speaking about loans... For those who are owners and, and who have companies, uh, don't think that this applies to a loan from your company to allow you to do something like buy a house. Uh, loans to shareholders uh, is not viewed very well, and even though you intend to pay the loan back and even though you're paying interest, the government basically gives you essentially two years to pay it back or will tax you on the entire thing. So well, what works for the family members doesn't work if you own a businessman taking money as a loan from your company, so don't do that. Yeah, no, it's sometimes a very uh, potentially bad trick to fall into is uh, borrowing money from your company uh, indefinitely over a long period of time. You could totally get... Uh, you will get you will re You will get reassessed. Reassessed, I like that term. Because yeah, I knew you were thinking about some another word, but anyway. Yes. Uh, Nick, I, Nick Moretis. I was, you were going to get bleeped. Yes. <laughs> Tax partner at Fulano. Great, uh, great tips, Nick. Thanks very much. Okay. On the next Passion, I'll ask you whether you can tell a fake O. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants, and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.56 remaining moments of today's Entrepreneur with our tax partner at Full Landau, Nick Moretis, and Mark Kalis of Kalis Air. And Nick, we're talking about some tax treats and tricks on this Halloween. Do you have a couple others that we can uh, squeeze in here? Sure. I'll give you uh, one more treat, which we've mentioned oft times on, on the show, uh, Dan, is uh, the use of family trusts and income splitting with uh, minors. Uh, especially when there's the sale of a family business or when the kids uh, do reach the age of 18 is receiving dividends to help them pay for schooling, etc., and being able to pay a child perhaps $25,000, $30,000 essentially tax-free and, and have them use that money to pay their, their um, uh, expenses. So that's a treat that's still there. There was some concern that was being changed, but uh, the government position in the end is that this will be allowed. And a final trick, um, and this is something to watch out for because we all get caught, 
Um, government uh, has a whole bunch of forms out there, uh, which is information forms, that basically tell me, please tell me what it is that you are investing that is not here in Canada. So are you buying a, a rental property in the States? Because there's a lot of rental uh, Canadians purchasing properties in the States to rent, not necessarily just to live in. Please tell me about it through a form. For businessmen, uh, you open up a subsidiary in the States uh, that to do business. Yeah, your, your company has to send in a form as well. Now, what's the problem with that? The penalties, if you forget, are, like, are close to $500 a month and can run for about two years if you sort of forgot. Is, so there, you, is there a threshold? Uh, which there's certain thresholds, etc. cetera. Uh, there is thresholds and exemptions. The point being that if you see that you are doing something uh, out of Canada that is in, uh, for investment purposes, speak to your accountant. Those forms are, are um, uh, could hurt you quite a bit, especially if you forget uh, this one little form could cost you up to $6,000 in penalties just to get yourself back to speed. So and, and if you have multiple transactions, it's multiple times, and that's gone to court, and it just says, you know, raises the shoulders and say, tough, you should have done it. The, so rule, the, rules, are tedi- the rules are tedious, but you've got to follow them that's or right. bad tricks that's come right. your way. Thanks very much, Nick. Mark, uh, just some uh, maybe some final thoughts. Uh, what piece of advice, what words of wisdom would you give to today's entrepreneur? Well, you know, uh, I think one of the the, uh, um, biggest piece of advice that I have is uh, stay true to your experience. Stick with what you know. Don't pretend or don't try to get into something if you're not comfortable doing it. You really have to keep your niche. You have to keep your reputation up. So uh, I've I've always tried to encourage people to stick within your, your, your knowledge base. Try to stay up to up to speed, continuing your education, anything that you can do to stay up with the uh, with the ever changing world. But I think the biggest thing is uh, is uh, protect your reputation and uh, and, uh, and 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 work hard and 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 back up uh, back up your work. Thanks very much. And the one quick takeaway I'll give you, Dan, is it was a little subtle during the show, but reinvent yourself. You know, as as knowledgeable as you can be in your industry, you know that things change, industry changes, and there can be different aspects of the business. Even being true to yourself, knowing what you know best, you can still offer a little bit different here and there. So reinventing yourself as an entrepreneur, absolutely crucial as well. Thanks very much, Mark. Uh, really interesting uh, industry. Thank you very much and for having Nick, me, everybody. Tax tricks and treats. I'm sure we can go on all night, all but right. we'll let the little kids uh, get back to their That's homes right. and Good eat night, their folks. treats. Thanks very much, Mark and Nick and Josh Miller. Uh, we'll see you next Monday night here at 7 for Today's Entrepreneur. Uh, news is next here on CJAD. From the CJAD.